the passage that I'm going to share with you today is preached around Thanksgiving time. So as you hear me preach today, you might think, well, Bill, you're a little bit confused. You know, you're 51 now, and that's going to happen from time to time. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, not Thanksgiving. But I think we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? The numbers of people through the years that have sacrificed themselves for our freedoms. And, and again, we are so grateful for their sacrifice and, and their families. If you've been watching the Today Show or the local news channels or ma reading in magazines, you've seen stories over the last few weeks about soldiers coming home from their deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan and surprising mothers for Mother's Day and families uh, for graduations. And they've shown the hardships that they've endured. They've shown their injuries, the sacrifices that they've made, and many of these soldiers' lives have been affected to the point that their life will never be the same again. Their family life will never be the same again. And I want to ask you this morning to just spend a few moments considering what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.8 when he said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When I think of Memorial Day, I think of three military memorials that bear special meaning to me personally, and they remind me of admirable individuals. One, of course, will always be the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. I don't know how many of you have been there, but you probably know. It's guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in all kinds of weather by the tomb guard sentinels. I have, on a number of occasions now, passed rows and rows of white crosses and have watched these vigilant sentinels, all volunteers from the elite 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment called the Old Guard, based at Fort Myer, Virginia, as they pace their 21 steps back and forth. Each of the 21 steps a reminder of a 21-gun salute over the marker. The tomb of the unknown soldier bears the burial of an unidentified American soldier from World War I in that massive white marble sarcophagus. Sculpted into the east panel which faces Washington, D.C., are three figures that each represent peace, victory, and valor. And on the back of the tomb are the words, here rest in honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. West of the World War I uh, unknown, there are the crypts of the World War II, Korea, and Vietnam soldiers, each of them known but to God, a reminder that all gave some and some gave all. The second memorial that is special to me was built in 1982, and it sits in Constitution Gardens in the National Mall, just northeast of the Lincoln Memorial. We know of it as the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And it's ominous, a 246 feet, 9 inch long black granite wall, polished to a mirror-like high finish. And engraved upon the some 144 panels are the names of 53,318 service members who died in the service in Vietnam and Southeast Asia and those service members who were missing in action during the war. I have watched as men in worn uniforms, some on crutches, some in wheelchairs, have approached that wall to touch a name and to weep, 
or to leave a simple gift in, in memory. The third memorial that's special to me was one that I had the, the honor of visiting with my family in Bedford, Virginia, the D-Day Memorial. It takes up some 88 acres at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it's in Bedford simply because of the Bedford boys. And if you know their story, 30 young men from a town that, that then only had about 3,000 people who joined up with the A Company of the 29th Infantry Division of the National Guard's 116th Infantry Regiment. Out of the 30 Bedford boys, 23 of them would be killed in action. I thought about their families and lives as I looked across the reflecting pools, the statues, the, the water spouts that, that were meant to resemble bullets landing in the water as we looked out the front of a landing craft. And I thought about those scenes of June the 6th, 1944, the day when Allied forces fought in one of the most pivotal battles of World War II to lead the way for victory against the tyranny of Hitler and Germany. And again, I was reminded of the debt we've all incurred that none of us can truly repay. You know, it is, it is so easy to forget that when we worship every Sunday, when we complain and we vote at every election, when we drive from state to state without passport, without checkpoint, when we watch television programs that overly engage the free speech clause, and we enjoy our picnics and our family time on Memorial Day weekend, it is so easy to forget. And yet the passage that we're going to look at this morning is of a man who was thankful to Jesus for something Jesus had done for him. And Jesus, in turn, would commend him for his grateful spirit. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke 17 in the scripture this morning. I'm not going to put any of Luke 17 up on, on, on the screen this morning. So you're going to need to look at it in your copy of the scripture. And if you don't have one, before you leave today, we'll get you one. But in Luke 17, it begins this particular story in verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now I want to begin with that phrase, on his way to Jerusalem. And what I want you to catch this morning is what makes a good follower, what makes a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I think the very first thing is that you see Jesus was consumed with his mission. He was consumed with his mission. What was Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for? He was going to die. The very reason he had come into this world, he was going to fulfill the plan of God as he made his way to Jerusalem, where he would become the substitute, the sacrifice for our sins. And he alone knew fully what lay ahead of him. He knew the religious leaders there and what they were going to do to him. He'd been trying to tell his disciples for quite some time along the way what was going to happen and what they could expect. The teachers of the law would have him arrested and manhandled. They would mock him. They would abuse him with their fists and with rods. They, they would scourge him, and they would crucify him on a cross. As much suffering as could be caused by any human hand, and Jesus yet would say in John 10, verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. Not that anyone takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down 
and the authority to take it up again. This command, he said, I receive from my father. He'd received his marching orders. He knew what would happen all the way to Jerusalem, and yet he was still going there because without his going, you and I would be eternally lost. You and I would have a separated existence for all eternity from God, and yet because of his going, we know him. We know forgiveness. We know grace. We know the power of God in his son. He would not be sidetracked from his mission. I want you to go back for just a few moments there, and I want you to keep your hand in Luke 17. We're going to be back there. But I want you to go back earlier into Luke's writing to see uh, the emphasis that Jesus placed on where he was heading. If you go back to Luke 9.51, it says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely headed out for Jerusalem. The word resolutely means determined and steadfastly set. He was unshakable in his mission. He was headed to Jerusalem and nothing would stop him. Now look in verse, or chapter 13 and verse 22 of his writing. Luke records this. Luke 13, 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. All along the way, people are coming to him Wounded, weak, weary, hurting, searching, and angry as well. And he ministered to them. And then we get to Luke 18, 31. And Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Starting to sound familiar, isn't it? The idea of him heading to Jerusalem. He knows that he's walking into the hornet's nest but he also knows the plan of his commanding officer. Look at Luke 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Oh, he's getting close. He was passing through on his way to Jerusalem. He's just a few miles outside the city. And in verse 28 of the same chapter, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He would not be deserted. He would not be changed. He was fixed on his mission because he knew above all, John 15, 3, that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that would be a verse we would do well to remember on this Memorial Day for those also in this world that would not be deterred from their mission. But Jesus wasn't so fixed that he couldn't stop along the way to help somebody in need. You see, a good soldier also, the second point on your outline, he attended to the needs, of, uh, the wounds of the needy and the miserable with mercy. Go back to Luke 17 with me now. In Luke 17, verse 12, we're going to see that this is one of those times, even though he's marching to Jerusalem, somebody cries out to him for help. And he's got the time for them, because after all, His final mission is about the Father's glory and them. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. How about that? Paul had no idea I was going to preach on that today. And here we are talking about lepers again. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And as Paul has already told you, leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease probably the worst of Jesus' day. 
an infectious skin disease. And, and I found a couple of pictures, and I'm not going to leave these up for long, on the internet that I want to show you what leprosy does to a person. It is a dreadful thing. Over a period of time, as it attacks your, your central sympathetic nervous system, it causes wounds to your body, and you can't feel the wounds. And if you choose not to give care to those wounds, over a period of time, a person with leprosy begins to lose his or her extremities. Fingers, toes, noses, ears, and they're not taken care of. If you contracted leprosy, you had to leave the company of friends and family, and you were not allowed to go home and kiss your wife goodbye. You were not allowed to have one final time with your children. It was an incurable, untreatable disease outside a miraculous intervention from God. You had to leave behind your home and your job because now you're an untouchable. You're an outcast of society. According to the Old Testament law, you're unclean. In fact, if anyone got even close to you, within six feet of you, you were required to cry out, unclean, unclean. No one could touch you. And if you broached that regulation, they were permitted to pick up stones to throw at you, to keep you at a distance. And they received scorn. God must be punishing you. You're obviously getting what your sins deserve. You couldn't go to the temple to pray. You couldn't go to the synagogue to, to worship God. Zero opportunity for fellowship and worship, sometimes that we take for granted. Zero family contact. Holiday times were over. Normal was just a thing of the past. And it's interesting here that in this text, there is a Samaritan with leprosy that's connected himself with Jewish people who have leprosy. Normally you wouldn't see Samaritans and Jews together because they hated one another so severely both ways. But in this case they share the same miserable fate and so they lay their prejudice aside and at least they're finding camaraderie with each other. Now I want you to notice, I didn't say they found comfort with each other because with leprosy there, there, was, there was no comfort and these ten lepers, they're standing at a distance, and they cry out to Jesus for mercy. Can I take just a moment to say to you that there are people all around us that are crying out for mercy. People that are living in what feels to them like an impossible situation that need God's mercy. And sometimes God wants to extend that mercy through the hands and the feet and the voices and the presence of people like you and me. He wants to minister his mercy to them through the church. Families that are in Springfield, that are going to be struggling this summer because all through the school year, their children are receiving breakfast and lunch at school. But in the summer, they'll be lucky to have their one meal a day. Who is going to feed them? That's why we need outreach. Financial, physical volunteers as well who will walk in parades and hand out information about vacation Bible school and treats. Volunteers who will visit the sick and the lonely. And sometimes I'm shocked at the number of people who don't visit because we know we have our prayer list and it takes very little time to make a phone call or write a card or visit. We need folks who will take guests out to lunch on Sundays or visiting missionaries and ministers. 
We have numerous opportunities to show mercy to the kids and our neighbors right here in our area. To show them the love of God, that they matter to God and they matter to us. And so, I'm asking you, I'm begging you as a minister to step up and do that. There's all kinds of ways for us to show mercy. Josh and Wanda Beery, two beautiful people that we love as a church, they took on a challenge from God. And so they packed it up and they moved to Grundy, Virginia to work with Mountain Mission School. They wanted to give kids a a chance at a great education, at a loving family environment, and a future in God's kingdom. Now you talk about the individual cost to them of accepting that challenge let alone to lose a residence to a lightning strike and a fire and have to farm out kids to churches and to families while trying to maintain graduation for some and and, and ordinary for others. And they're still reaching out for support and encouragement. And I'll bet if we listen close, some of us might hear Josh and Wanda crying out for mercy. We might hear the children of Mountain Mission School crying out, and God might use you to respond to that need. And it doesn't always have to come in the form of a financial sacrifice. There's all kinds of ways to share mercy. You can go to the nursing home. You can go to the hospital or the senior living center. You can spend some time out of your day. Go to the VA and visit with the soldiers and and let them tell their story. Grab a teenager in this church or in this community, take them out to lunch and listen to them as they talk about what life is like at home and at school and at work and what their schedules are like. Volunteer to take a meal to somebody who's just coming out of surgery or going home from the hospital or maybe they've lost a loved one. Or look over the prayer list that we have as a congregation. So many times I'll just hear people say, man, We've got a lot of hurt in our church. But you know what I'd rather hear? I'd rather hear the response, wow, God has entrusted us with a lot of mercy to dispense to his glory. Well, preacher, I I don't have much to give. Do you have Jesus? Do you? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work where? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Interestingly enough, leprosy is mentioned how many times, Paul, in the Bible? 55, guess how many times mercy is mentioned in, in, in the Gospels? 55. 55 times mercy is addressed in the Gospels. How close are we to hitting that speed limit? Let's show mercy to these people. Call a young couple and offer to babysit for them so they can go out and have a date night together. How about being a, a mercy giver like the ladies in this church, and I won't name them, who just send cards out to those that are ill or those that they miss. How about making a phone call to someone who lives by themselves and just talk to them. If you're open to the prompting of God's spirit, you'll find ways to show mercy to others. And I'm fully sure of this. Not only are there people around you crying out for mercy, I'm sure that God wants to give you mercy. 
And he wants to use you to show it. Well, these lepers need God's mercy. And as we read in the next verse, Jesus is willing to show it. Verse 14 in Luke 17. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, if you know me, you know I've I've preached on this before. One of my favorite parts of this is they were not healed until they obeyed Jesus. He could have healed them right there on the spot. He'd done it many times before with others. Why would he tell them this time to to go and show themselves to the priest before they were cleansed? I think he wanted to see their heart for obedience. And look what they do. No questions asked. No long sermons, no dissertations, no demands. Well, just do it for us now, Jesus, and then we'll go to the priest. Every one of them, all ten, obeyed and headed for the priest. According to Leviticus 14, if a person was thought to be healed of leprosy, they had to go and show themselves, and the priest would say, you can go home. You could enter back into society. And so they listen to Jesus' instruction, and they go. I'm thinking about another leper that God healed. This one is from the Old Testament. Uh, He healed. First, he was disobedient to the prophet. It comes in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5. And his name was Naaman. And I'll tell you, Naaman had to be coerced to obey. He was the captain of the Aramean army. And he was a leper. And if you wonder, well, how can that be? I thought lepers had to be outside of the community. Well, please understand, Naaman, he's not an Israelite. He's an Aramean. The Israelites had the law from God because he wanted to keep his people pure. He wanted to provide for himself a people that were set apart and protected. Naaman, he's not part of that group. And so you find him as the commander of the Aramean army. And the Arameans have made ventures into Israel and they captured a young girl. And this young girl had become the household slave of Naaman. And yet even there, she looks to God. In 2 Kings 5.3 it says, She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Well, you know Naaman's ears perked up to hear that. Long story short, Naaman goes to the doorstep of Elisha. He cries out for attention. He cries out for mercy. And Elisha says, go down to the Jordan River. Dip yourself there ten times in the river, and God will heal you. And Naaman didn't have the same sensibility. He didn't have the same humility of these ten that came to Jesus in the New Testament but rather he looks at Elisha and he's expecting something spectacular. He's expecting something immediate. I mean, after all, he's the commander of the armies. I want to be healed now, my way. He says, I won't go. I mean, we have better rivers back home that are cleaner, that are purer than the Jordan River. Why should I have to go there? But Naaman had people that loved him enough to tell him the truth. And they said, Naaman, If this prophet had asked you for some difficult thing, would you not have done it? And yet all he asked you to do is go and dip yourself seven times and be healed. And so he finally goes. And we read in 2 Kings 5.14, he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and it became clean like that of a young boy. What a great day for Naaman. What a great day to highlight 
the glory of God. And what a great day it was for these 10 lepers in Luke 17. As they went, as they obeyed in faith, they were healed. And I think there's a lesson for us there if we'll just see it. It's the third thing on your outline this morning. And that is, what is God looking for? Friends, I think God is looking for those who would receive mercy from him and would respond with obedience and thankfulness. Obedience and thankfulness. Each and every one of us, God wants us to have the kind of faith that says, whatever you want me to do, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to sacrifice, I will do it. And I wonder, do we have that kind of faith that responds with obedience? If God says to us in regards to salvation, I want you to repent and be baptized in my name, do we have the faith to do it? When God says to us, I want you to put me first in your finances, I want you to at least tithe from your income. And he says, if you do that, in Malachi 3.10, if you test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Do we have a faith that leads to that kind of obedience? How about this? If Jesus says to you, I want you to forgive those who've offended you. I want you to let go of your past. I want you to let go of your anger, let go of your bitterness. And if you do, I'll pour my grace out upon you. Matthew 6, 14 says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. I wonder, do we have enough faith and obedience to respond and do what he tells us to do? Friends, there is always a blessing if we obey God. Well, let's go back to our story here. Luke 14, or 17, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And I can imagine the joy, the excitement, the happiness they felt. Maybe one of them looked over and noticed that, that his partner's flesh was growing clean. Maybe one of them realized his fingers that were lost were suddenly restored. And maybe like Naaman, they, they noticed their flesh became like that of a little boy. Their pain was gone. They'd been healed of their disease that had enslaved them. What a glorious day. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now mark it down in your mind, only one out of ten came back to say thank you. 10% were moved to gratitude to turn back and give thanks while the rest just kept on going. Thank you, Jesus, and life is normal. And the one who did turn back was not the one you would have expected to return. Now, was this bothersome to Jesus? The one who'd given them this special miracle? Absolutely. Let's finish the story now. 17 through 19. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, there's two things that are obvious in this text here. First of all, Jesus expected them all to have a thankful spirit. He honored the one who had a grateful heart. The second thing is that he was disappointed over the nine who chose not to return. 
where are the other nine? Were not all ten cleansed? Now I take that into the context and, and, and look at the gift of Memorial Day. You see, when we fail to give thanks, God notices. When our hearts are not filled with gratitude for the gifts he provides, he notices. And so my challenge to you today would simply be this, that you and I would be people that are found to be with the one rather than with the nine. That we would be the 10% and be thankful. I was reading a book this week. Uh, The author's name was Wayne Cordero. And he was talking about how the church needs to have this heart of gratitude. He said this. He said, I believe God is, is more concerned about being grateful than just about anything else. A spirit of gratefulness that's developed when we pause to notice a rainbow or refuse to rush past the sunset. When we take the time to notice, we feel rising within us a deep praise for God that wasn't there before. We are again reminded that we're surrounded by things that we don't deserve, but we have been granted nonetheless. God's artistry is not limited to a rural countryside because he's evident everywhere if we will but stop and take notice. And he ends with this sentence, gratefulness is discovered when we remove the hurry from our lives and we listen to God's voice in the everyday. I want to make sure you hear that last verse. Gratefulness is discovered when we remove the hurry from our lives and we listen to God's voice in the everyday. I think if we could just take that that little nugget of truth home and live by that, because we're such part of a fast-paced, driven society, sometimes we stop to be grateful for the blessings that he's lavished upon us, to open our eyes for what God has done for us. It is Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people will simply see it as the beginning of summer. School is over. You know, Buck Creek State Park is going to be filled with campers. It's going to be filled with families having picnics and fun for the weekend. But the truth is, Memorial Day, it's, it's not a celebration. It's a commemoration of gratitude. To recognize that freedom isn't free. That freedom comes at a great cost. Well, I'll close this morning with a story. that was shared in Newsweek magazine of Memorial Day back in 2011. It was of an interview of a father of a fallen soldier on a show called Here and Now. The father's name was Paul Monty, and his son Jared was killed in action in Afghanistan in 2006 while he was trying to save the life of a fellow soldier. Jared received posthumously America's highest honor for heroism, the Congressional Medal of Honor. The father, Monty, he was being interviewed because he was on a mission. You see, on Veterans Day, after his son was killed, he tried to place a flag near his son's grave at the National Massachusetts Cemetery on Cape Cod. But the cemetery official said to him, you cannot do that. Because all the graves are flush with the ground so that we can mow over them, you cannot put a flag on your son's grave. Well, not pleased with that answer, Monty did what any gold star parent would have done. He fought for it. And on Memorial Day that year, there was not only one flag that would fly on his son's grave, but veterans and their families had placed against the order that you cannot place flags in the cemetery. Veterans and their families placed 55,000 flags all over that cemetery. 
at the graves of veterans and their families. Now, if the story ended there, it'd be a good story, but it's not. It got better because Monty told several stories about his son, Jared, how he was always helping other people out and sacrificing. One story centered around his kitchen set that he and his fellow soldiers shared at Fort Bragg. One day his buddies came home and the kitchen set was gone and it had cost them about $700. And Monty recalled as they asked him where it was, Jared said, well, I was over at one of my soldiers' houses and his kids were eating on the floor. My soldier needed it worse than, than we do. And so the $700 kitchen set was gone. Monty's son never thought about attention or fanfare. All of his medals went into a sock drawer. He said no one ever saw them, and he never bragged about the things that he'd done. And then came the part where Monty kind of talked about his son's truck. He still had his son's truck, and he still drove it. When asked why, he gave this heartbreaking answer. He said, what can I tell you? My son's truck, it was him. His DNA, it was all over that truck. And I, I don't need it to think about him. I mean, I think about him every day. But when I'm loneliest... When I'm missing the most, I go out in that truck and I just drive. To most people, it was just a Dodge Ram 4x4, 1500. The decals were still on it of the 82nd Airborne, a 10th Mountain Division decal, the American flag, and a Go Army decal. As he talked about that, there was somebody else listening to that story that day, a, a woman named Connie Harrington. Connie Harrington is a Nashville songwriter, and she, she just started to cry and pulled her car over to the side of the road and started to take notes on this and went back, and with the help of two others, she wrote a song that she passed on to Lee Bryce, who recorded it, and some of you know the country song, I Drive Your Truck. And it perfectly captured the detail and emotion of, of Monty's story. It's not sanitized, but... It simply says, 89 cents in the ashtray, half-empty bottle of Gatorade rolling on the floorboard, that dirty Braves cap on the dash, dog tags hanging from the rearview mirror, old skull can and cowboy boots and a Go Army shirt folded in the back. This thing burns gas like crazy, but that's all right. People have their ways of coping, and I've got mine. I drive your truck. I roll down every window and I burn it up. Every back road in this town, I find a field, I tear it up till all the pain is a cloud of dust. Sometimes I drive your truck. And as he does, he remembers that day on June the 21st, 2006, in the Nuristan province of Afghanistan, where Staff Sergeant Jared Monty's 16-man patrol, 16 men came under the fire of 50 enemy combatants. One of his guys, Private Brian Bradbury, was wounded by an RPG, and he needed help. But there was a problem. He'd fallen just over a ridge where the soldiers described it as a death zone. Another soldier told Jared he was going to try and retrieve Bradbury, but Jared set him straight, that's my soldier. I'm going to get him. Despite the intense firefight, despite the bleak odds, he tried not once, not twice, but three times to save Private Bradbury. The last try, the third try, cost him his life. You know, as I think of Memorial Day, I think of those that have crossed that line, have not only given that great sacrifice, but have entered that death zone. And above all, I think of the one who gave everything for our salvation, for our life. In our nation's first 100 years of existence, yes, 
683,000 Americans lost their lives. With the Civil War accounting for 623,000 and 26 of that total, you know, you compare that to the next 100 years and over a million people, including the Unknown War, the Forgotten War in Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf Wars, over a million lives have been sacrificed for our freedom and for the freedom of others around the world. And friends, to those who much is given, much is required. Will you be a faithful follower, a faithful soldier of Christ? Will you be undaunted in the mission he's given to each of you? Will you stop and take time during your day to, to minister to those in need and misery? And will you answer with obedience and thankfulness? I'm going to ask everyone this morning if you would stand with me. And we're going to end a little differently today before David leads us in our, our hymn of decision, our song of decision. You'll notice at the prayer time I did something. I turned around these two microphones in the front. And what I want to do is, is I want each of you to step up to this microphone because I want everybody to be able to hear you. And I want you to say just maybe one, two, three words this morning of something you're thankful for on this Memorial Day. This microphone over here is, is for, for these two sections. This one is for these two sections here. Maybe you need to say, thank God he's given me health. Thank God he's given me a family. Thank God he, he's providing me with energy. But we're going to start, we're, I'm going to ask you from section A all the way through section D to come up to these microphones. Thank God he's given me blank. Don't just stand there. I want you to come right now. Come to these microphones, and let's give God a voice of gratitude this morning that all can hear. Come forward. Just one, two, three words, a sentence. That's all you have to do. Everyone. Thank God for another day. Thank God for my health. Thank God for all of you. Thank God for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and uh, for blessing our family and our church family in so many different ways. I thank the Lord for this church family, for the love it shows, and for all the people that I come here every week to see. Thank you. I thank God for my health and my wife. I thank God for everything that he's done for me, my health, my life. I thank God that Charles returned home from Vietnam safe and sound. Thank God for friends and family and for his saving grace. Thank God for Christian parents who raised me in the church. Amen. Thank God for my family, my friends, and all my friends here at church. Yeah, I'm thankful for the church and, and what it does for us. Thank God for all my friends and family here with me today. I thank God that we have a wonderful church to worship him. I thank God for everything that I have. I thank God that when I was a little child, I was raised to know and love the Lord. Thank God for my family and the freedom to choose. I thank God that he birthed me in America and for our freedom of religion. I thank God for being faithful even when I was not and thank him for leading me to this church. 
I thank God for this church and for the many, many um, friendships that I have made here, and I will miss all of you. I thank God for the prayers of his people for me in the good times and in the bad times. I thank God for my family, my friends, and for all of you here. God bless. I thank God for the men and women in our militaries that have given their lives for us over the years for us to look forward for every day of life that we have. I thank God for my daughters and my grandchildren. I thank God for my family. I thank God for my church, my family, and my grandchildren. I thank God for my family. Thank God for grace. Thank God for my family and my friends. I thank God that I was raised in a Christian family and a Christian community. I thank God for all of you. I thank God for all my church family and for my other family. Thank God for my support system and the kindness of others. I thank God for Jesus and I thank him for his free gift of grace. I thank God for helping me raise my three kids by myself and especially for putting Scott in my life and everything he's helped us get through in the last five years to get us where we are now. I thank God for my wife and for mostly my salvation. Thanks. I thank God for my <coughs> Christian friends who went before me and meant so much uh, to me in my life. I thank God for my children and my family and this church that has been so supportive for the last uh, 20 years or so. Thank you, God, for son, like I've sung, Bill. Thank you. I thank God for loving me when I wasn't so lovable. I thank God for being there in time of need. I thank God for the grace, the hope, the love, the faith, and the blessings that he has given to all of us, especially me. I thank God for the military men and women who have kept us a free country. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a beautiful gift that we just want to give to you this morning. You said that our prayers before you were like a sweet-smelling sacrifice just rising up before your throne. Father, I ask you to help us to, to catch an auditory, a sensual glimpse of what it's like to be there. The wonder that your angels sense because we take the time to be grateful and to thank you for how wonderful your salvation is, how wonderful your gifts are. You're our Father of lights and in a dark world. Father, without you, we would just be walking constantly in darkness and in death. But you bring to us an explosion of, of brilliance of your glory and of your presence. And Father, we just praise you for being you. And, and I pray this morning, perhaps for someone here, who has yet to say, Jesus, I'll follow you. What you ask, I will do. I'll confess my sins. I'll repent. I'll be baptized, and today's the day. I pray for the one that maybe is looking for a, a church family. And 
Lord, we don't get it right all the time. But our heart is with you. Our heart is on your plan that, Father, you would give us forgiveness and grace and that we could extend it to one another and we could be your kingdom on this earth. Father, I thank you this day, as many have said, for the lives of men and women who paved the way for us to have this opportunity that we may not have otherwise received to reach out to you. And we do that now in Jesus' name.